Hello and welcome back to the Believe Equestrian podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about cues and what I've learned about cues over the last few years. Because honestly, a couple of years ago, I didn't even know what that word meant. Um, in this country anyway, in England, we tend to talk about the aids. So your seat, your hand, your leg, your voice, your whip, for example. Um, and, and I used to think, I often say to people, I genuinely used to think that horses came with pre-installed buttons as per the German Manual of Horsemanship. And if I couldn't find those buttons, it was because I wasn't good enough. I literally had no concept of how to train. Um, I'm possibly being a little bit cool to myself there. I'm sure I had some some idea, but versus how my understanding now, I had no, no comprehension of how to pair the the aid or the cue with the behaviour that I desired um, and how to refine that and, and get what I was after. So in this episode, I want to talk to you a little bit more um, about the cues and um, see if I can help you out on that if it's something that you're struggling with too. So let's start with what is a cue? A cue is an environmental signal that triggers a behaviour. So imagine the smell of cooking bacon wafting up the stairs. That might be a cue that triggers the behaviour to come downstairs and go into the kitchen to find out what that delicious smell is and what's being cooked. So in that case, this is an olfactory cue. But the main ones that we deal with when we're training animals are verbal, visual and physical. So let's think about some examples. Let's think about a dog first. So... A verbal cue might be sit, for example. You might use a visual cue, such as lifting your hand up to ask the dog to sit. Or you might use a physical cue by gently pushing its bottom down to encourage it into the sitting position. So let's see if we can think of some horse ones too. So you might use um, a verbal signal, such as a cluck, like, like, or for cancer, or... You might use the word back or you might say the word whoa. So those would all be verbal cues. Um, you might use a visual cue. So if you mounted, that might be a bit tricky. But if you were lunging, um, picking up the stick and pointing it towards the horse's tail, that would be a visual cue. I use a um, visual uh, cue for stop by lifting my stick up and pointing it towards the sky. Um, And a physical cue might be the gentle application of pressure. So, for example, you might gently push the horse back or you might push the quarters over. Um, And also our our traditional cues, the leg aid um, and the rein aid and indeed the seat. um, That is an example of a physical cue. I've been following you on Facebook for a while and been trying some things like back up with my horse and was wondering when you should add a cue to a behaviour as I've seen different trainers do and say different things. Thanks for your help. Thanks Beth, thanks for the question. Um, So I'm just going to start off by saying does the horse have any previous learning or understanding of the the cue or of the behaviour? So if we use the back up as an example, most horses have got a good understanding what pressure on the lead rope means. 
So if we were thinking about how we were going to train the back up, um, we might start off by using some pressure backwards towards the chest um, on the lead rope. And as soon as they make an effort to take one step or two steps backwards, we would then use the three R's to help them see that that's the behaviour that we wanted. So the three R's are release, reward and relax. So release means we release the pressure on the lead rope and stop asking them to go backwards. Reward means we say, oh, wow, good boy, well done. At the moment that they step backwards, we might use a marker. So we might use the word good or we might use a, a click or a tongue click um, to, to mark that backward step. And then we would just relax. So we would just pause for a second, take a breath before we ask them again so that they know that that is exactly what they should have done. So... Um, at the point that we want to start to introduce a verbal cue to that, that behaviour has got to be really solid. You want to be able to bet me £50, say for example you want five steps of backup, you want to be able to bet me £50 that every time you pop some pressure backwards towards the horse's chest on the lead rope, um, that they're going to go back five steps every single time. When you can do that and you and you really show that it's reliable, then you can use the old cue, um, the new cue, old cue principle. So you introduce the new cue, which would be your verbal cue for back. So you might say back or I say Shh, to go backwards. Then you'd have a little pause and then you would um, use the previously well understood and reliable cue, which is the physical pressure on the lead rope. And then you'd repeat that each time pausing after your verbal cue, just to see if there was a flicker of recognition as they start to pair the new cue with the old cue and start to realise that there's an association between the two. And eventually they will start to understand that that, that word or that noise means go back just like the pressure on the lead rope did. What we want to make sure we don't do um, is use words sort of willy-nilly because that then becomes white noise. So if you're constantly saying to your horse woo woo or stand 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 up stand up um, it, it, you're actually a teaching them to ignore your voice and making that cue completely and utterly meaningless. Um, but it, it's also, uh, you might then ris run the risk of pairing that with an unfinished behaviour. So don't add that verbal cue in. See if you can try and keep yourself quiet <laughs> until you've actually got the behaviour that you want. And then you've got to think really carefully about um, your timing of it. So let's go back to the dog example again. So if you say sit, sit, sit to the dog, then the cue has all of a sudden become sit, sit, sit. So it's no longer sit for the cue. The cue has become sit, sit, sit. So you've got to think really carefully. Do I want my cue to be sit? If you do, you've got to say it once and only once. And then you've got to use some other method, which was you previously taught in the case of the horse pressure on the lead rope backwards or with the dog it might be you might use some uh, food to lower them into the sit position something like that um 
otherwise you're going to ruin your verbal cue. Um, and another good example of how horses um, stop listening to certain cues was um, I was doing a clinic a few weeks ago and I had this beautiful big uh, Frisian horse come and it got into the habit of when the owner asked it to halt with the lead rope of just spinning around the front of her. So it didn't, it wasn't listening at all to the cue from the pressure on the lead rope to stop. So we decided we'd teach it a stop cue uh, using the whip. So pointing the whip up to um, up to the sky, meaning stop. So we broke it down into tiny chunks that the horse could understand uh, until eventually over the course of about 10, 15 minutes, it was actually doing a really good stop just off the whip cue. So then... Um, the, we all have moments where we like we slip back into bad, bad habits. So the lady went to touch the lead rope first before she went to ask um, using the new whip cue. And what did the horse do? It spun round her again straight in front of her because it had associated the pressure on the lead rope, meaning oh, I don't have to stop if I don't really want to. I can just spin round the front of my mother and not take any notice of her. And yet a second later, when we tried it with the whip cue again properly, without touching the rope, stop dead. Boom. Really, really solid stop. Um, so that just was such a good example to me of how we can wreck our cues, how we can wreck the meaning of what we're, what we're trying to communicate to our horses through poor timing and inconsistency and not following up with what we actually, what we actually want. So the next thing we're going to talk about is stimulus control. And that all that means really is that the cues are really solid. So there's four rules of stimulus control, according to Alexandra Kurland, that these, um, if these things, if you have these things, it means that basically you've got your, uh, your cue really solid and under stimulus control. So the first one is the animal understands the cue and responds to the cue promptly every time it's given. So my little pony Ella, my little section A, she's got a really, really good stop cue. So she can stop from the word whoa or when I point my stick to the sky every time from walk, trot or canter. And she can also do it in a different environment when I go away from home. So I know that um, so that we've definitely got number one out of these four rules for that. Um, and number two you don't get the behaviour in the absence of the cue. Yep, so in this case, she doesn't offer that stop um, unless I say whoa or give my whip cue. So yep, tick, we've got number two as well. Um, you don't see the behaviour in response to some other cue. Now, I might need to do some tidying up here because sometimes um, I do... If I say walk from the trot, because walk sounds a little bit like whoa, um, sometimes I do get the stop. So what I can do there to tighten up and test at number three is I can say lots of different words, maybe begin with a W. So how many can I think of? I could think of white, I could say wash, I could say... Oh, I don't know. I'll have to think of lots of words that begin with W and see if she waits until I say the word woo before she actually halts. Um, and number four, 
you don't get some other behaviour in response to the cue. No, I don't. So I don't get um, anything else other than the stop when I point my stick up in the air or um, when I say the word work. So I've ticked most of my four rules there, I think, for that one. Um, but a good example of where, um, like number two, you don't get the behaviour in the absence of the cue, where I need to tighten up is... We've been doing lots of mark training and putting our feet up on things. So at the minute, she's just desperate to put her feet up on things. So my cue for going to the mark or standing up on the pedestal is hup. So <laughs> we've got a thing at the minute where if we're just walking past it, she'll be like, well, I'd like to stand on that, please. So that is her offering the behaviour in the absence of a cue. So I don't want that to happen. If the behaviour was truly under stimulus control, she wouldn't offer that behaviour until she heard the word hup. Um, so I wonder if you can just have a little think about that and think about some things that you, you ask your horse to do and see if you can um, go through that checklist and see whether or not they're also under stimulus control. So which cues are most relevant to you out of our verbal, visual and physical? Um, so I know at the minute I'm I'm doing uh, heel work to music with my <laughs> with my dog, and the goal there is to get everything onto a verbal cue. So not so much um, using your hands, for example, to give visual signals. So certainly a verbal cue is the softest with our horses and our dogs. Um, but it's no good if you're competing in dressage because you're not allowed to use your voice, for example. And it's also no good um, if you're in a, a noisy environment where your horse possibly can't hear you. Or if your horse is working a long distance away from you, unless, of course, you can whistle loudly. And then um, another question to ask, is the horse attached to you? If you're working at liberty, a physical cue isn't going to work if your horse is working at a distance. So you need to establish some other cues, some verbal and some visual cues um, to, to help you there. And also, are they watching you? So can they see you? And are they watching you? Like even in a busy environment, they could be distracted. So a visual cue might not work for you there. So you, need, you might need to have um, a verbal or an auditory cue. Uh, for that. So as you can see here, we can teach multiple cues, um, but we mustn't teach conflicting cues. So a really exa good example to make this a little bit clearer is um, imagine you're at a wedding and somebody at the top table stands up and goes, <coughs> I think everybody would understand that that meant, please, can you be quiet? We're about to start the speeches. But the person at the top table could also stand up and go ting, ting, ting on the glass. And similarly, everybody would be quiet because they'd think, oh, um, we're about to start the speeches, we better be quiet. They could even just stand up and not do anything. Just the fact that somebody at the top table was standing would indicate, would be a cue to everybody assembled there that they, they must be quiet because they were going to start talking. So you can see there, there's three cues that all mean please be quiet, we're going to start the speeches. But what we can't do is we can't have conflicting cues. So my whip cue pointing upwards can't mean stop and go backwards at the same time because that would be really super confusing. So um, I've got quite a number of cues that are quite similar and 
in the, in the same area. So my queue for the Spanish walk and my queue for the backup, I'd I'd been getting them a little bit. Um, they were too similar, so it was confusing us. So I've had to make them a little bit more different. So just think about all the times. Think about our leg aids when we're mounted. How similar is our aid for forward, for sideways, for canter? Um, how amazing are the horses, really, that they, they can discriminate between those different cues? So when we find ourselves getting frustrated that the horse isn't giving us the answer that we're expecting and giving us the, the behaviour that we're after, have we really made it clear enough to them? Do they really understand what we're after? And have they got a strong reinforcement history with that cue to make it really solid? And can you tick those four rules um, for being under stimulus control that we talked about? So when we're teaching a behaviour, I like to think about it as a staircase. So I imagine that the behaviour that I'm after is the top of the staircase and I try to think how many small steps am I going to have to take to get to the top of the staircase to get the behaviour that I want. And I break it down into the smallest chunks possible so that they can understand and so that they can be successful at each step. And if I find that I've failed, in inverted commas, more than two or three times, um, then I'll come back down my staircase again until they understand and then we can we can go up again. And then once we've got to the staircase and we've got that behaviour, then we can progressively test it. So we can add distractions, we can add distance. So if, we're, if we've got a weight cue, for example, can we take two steps away from them and they stay there? Can we take three steps, ten steps? Can we walk around them in a circle? Um, which is also, in this case, adding duration as well. And then can we add energy? So if I'm testing my weight cue, can I um, run around them in a circle? Will they still understand that cue and that they've got to stand and wait there? And then if we think about my stop cue that I talked about earlier, yes, it's all right being able to get it really good at walk, and then I might be able to do it at a distance so I'm in the middle of the arena while she's working further away from me and um, put the stop, ask for the stop. But then can I add energy? Can I do it in trot and can I do it in canter as well? Um, so I hope that's, um, that's given you some food for thought um, and I hope you can sort of ask yourself some questions about how you teach your horse different cues and our expectations of how they understand what we're after. Sometimes I think we can be a little bit unrealistic in our expectations and in unrealistic in our expectations of ourselves as well because we have to teach this stuff. They don't come pre-programmed. We have to train. And when I'm out teaching, particularly mounted stuff, I try and encourage people to say, right, stop thinking like a rider, start thinking like a trainer. You're training this animal. How can you make it easy for them to get the right answer? So I hope that was helpful. Thank you for listening to the Believe Equestrian podcast. If you'd like to find out more, please follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Believe Equestrian or go to the website believeuk.co.uk where you can find out more about coaching and virtual coaching. Thanks. Have a good day.